Welcome back to the Eddie Jones Coaching Podcast. I'm Connor O'Shea. This week, Eddie and I are talking about how you make some of the best players in the world even better. He wasn't the most dedicated guy. So, and yeah, as you know, goalkeeping is something you need a lot of dedication to do. So, if he got 80% in the, in the season, we ended up winning the, the Super Rugby that year. He got a free holiday for his for him and his girlfriend at the end of the year to Fiji, I think it was. Plus, we discussed core skills, technique under pressure, and Eddie's first ever coaching job. All that and more. So let's go. Just thinking about some of the stuff we've talked about and over the last couple of weeks. And one thing I always get when I go to, I look at when I go to a club, I watch you train the England team and I see the intensity and uh, the, the the speed of the actual session and sometimes the unstructured nature of it. And then you go along and you see a, uh, I'm sure lots of people come and visit your clubs, but you go along and see a club team train and they try and replicate that without the necessary skills. So, this a lot of coaching books in the past were talking about whole part whole and you, you coach the, the the entirety then you look at the individual skill break it down and then you coach the whole again what's your balance in the skill component and that intensity that you need for for test match rugby how do you how do you go about balancing that and what advice would you give to uh coaches starting off the evolution of a team well, I think the great thing is, Connor, as you know, there's nothing wrong or right in coaching. You've got to find the right way for your team. But I think, yeah, one of the things that's probably not been coached well over the last period of time is is the core skills of the game um, because I think there's been a too much of a concentration on getting patterns right. Everyone's got a defence system. Everyone's got an attack system. And you see it go down even the schoolboy side. Particularly in the in the earlier ages, you've got to be coaching their core skills really well because if they've got good core skills, you know, good catch pass support skills, good defence tracking, good defence tackling, and their breakdown skills, you can play the game in any way. So we don't we do a lot of that in terms of before and after our strength sessions and our field sessions generally are more about cohesion because we have a shorter period of time. But if you've got a team for a longer period of time, I'd be starting and finishing every session with some core skill work. And, and how much of that core skill work do you watch, wait and see who does extras on their own? Do you impose extras? How, how do you look at that skill? Because some of that is the, the mentality of player you see by the, the amount they're willing to do on their own, don't you? Yeah, we're lucky because we've got, you know, our players are great, mate. They work hard. They love working hard, but some sometimes you've got to give a bit of a guided hand, encourage a few of them to do a bit more. But generally speaking, we're lucky we've got players who want to grow and keep on getting better. And you know, as a coach, that's what you want to that's what you want your players to be doing. But you want your 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 players to be doing that by themselves. But in the early stage of developing players, you've got to give them a guided hand. You you weren't you weren't always lucky though, were you? you? You didn't always have a team that, and especially probably when you started coaching. I mean, I know when uh, I think back to the Ireland team in the mid nineties, uh, you know, lots of talent, but not uh, a collective that wanted to work as hard as was needed to get to the very top. And that, it's the same for you. You you the start of your coaching days. There's no way you and a team that all worked the same way that did the extras they needed. So, what was the balance there when you looked at? 
uh, at well, what you did. The Irish team was lucky, mate, because they knew they had you at the back, so they didn't have to work that hard, mate. Oh bloody! Hell. I'll tell you, I do really, I do, I do really well under the current under the current rules that they're going to bring in. You don't have to tackle. You're not allowed close contact. You don't have to rock. It's brilliant. It's made for me now. <laughs> no, but I remember the first catching job I had was at Tokai University in Western Tokyo. Um, went there. There's 150 kids. We trained on rolled dirt. They had come third last in their competition for nine years in a row. I managed to catch him the second last. But uh, <laughs> so it was a great coaching achievement. But but it was were the they, best be, were they a better team? They were a better team. Were, well, I think they were, yeah. Well, that's what I told myself anyway. But I really worked hard on their basic skills. You know, every yeah. session start with some basic skill work. But I think the thing you've got to remember with basic skill work is that you still got to have variation in that basic skill work. So once a player's done a two-on-one successfully, You've got to add variation in it, either time, space, more defenders. And the key is to make the player keep growing. I, I, I go back. I remember you badgering him. I blackmailed Eric Elwood. Do you remember Eric Elwood, the, the, the Irish yeah, fly-off? Yeah, we, yeah. We, we played at Lansdowne together. And we used, at the end of every training session, I said, listen, Eric, I'll stand behind the posts and I'll kick the balls back to you as long as you stay out and you kick eyeballs to me. And you say that to the to everybody. Everyone else can pop in and we'd be the two left out in the pitch just in, in these horrible floodlights, just catching eyeballs, kicking balls back to each other and just generally having fun. And a lot of the skill you can you can have, you know, the old school gaining ground with each other, which is that kicking, looking for space and all these sort of things. People think it has to be structured, doesn't have to be structured. And then you need yeah. the skills coach to be able to give that little bit of a uh, little bit of difference. Um, you, you have, uh, you talk about Owen Farrell, George Ford, all these guys. So what's the balance between looking at developing the skills they don't have versus them making sure the skills that they have that are their strengths are better the whole time what's what's what what do you look at in that yeah again i've probably had a real change in philosophy over the years um you know when you're a young coach you think you want to you want the player to be perfect um and you work out as you coach that you want the there's no perfect player every player's got their flaws and the big thing is to coach the players to their strengths you know i'd encourage every coach out there coach the player to their strengths you know i was talking to someone the other day about steve larkin yeah, Steve Larkin didn't run straight, you know, and, and we came from a club at Randwick where everything was about running straight. And so, uh, you know, assistant coach was Glenn Ellie, wanted him to run straight. But he would, Steve would take the ball at 45 degrees and he would be able to pass without changing his pace. And, you know, so you didn't want to take that away from him because if you got him to run straight, you'd actually take away part of his skill. So it's just about then adjusting the role of the other players. So look at each player, see what they're really good at, see how you can make it good because there's no, there's actually no perfect technique. It's not like, you know, even golf, you're a great golf fan. Um, every golfer's got their own swing, haven't they? You know, Damn, I, no I thought you were going to say a great golfer. I thought you were going to say a great golfer. <laughs> a great golf fan. Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen a video of your swing, mate. You've got a, you've still got a bit of work to do. It's a, it's a, it's a good, it's a, it's a good Irish swing. But there was a great Irish golfer in the in the seventies and eighties. He, he actually held a winning putt in a Ryder Cup. Eamon Darcy, 
And if ever there was a man who should have been taught how to swing, but he had his own swing, he did it his way, and he was spectacularly successful on the European tour doing it his way. But yeah. I remember going back to Eric and myself, Eric Elwood and myself, uh, Paul Burke, pre-95 World Cup, we were sent over to do some kicking, uh, kicking session with Dave Allred, uh, yeah. the yeah. original guru of kicking. Yeah. And yeah. he ultimately tried to change the way we kicked. And I was a Gaelic football kicker. Uh, yeah. I came around the corner, uh, probably with a big steel cap on my toe and everything yeah. like that, but came around the corner, kicked it like a footballer. He wanted me to become more straight on, more regimented than what I do. And I, it, it ruined my kicking for quite a while, uh, if ever I was able to goal kick. Um, Eric really uh, identified with them. And was able to, and I spoke to Dave about this, you know, a good few years down the road. And he said, oh, I've changed completely now. I coach the, the, the type of kick. I wouldn't change the way you kick anymore. But back in his formative days, coming from American football into kicking, he'd worked with Rob Andrew, worked with Johnny. I was working with Johnny. It was one way is the only way. And there isn't. You, have to, you do have to look after the player, don't you? Yeah, no, 100%. And I remember... As a cricketer myself, uh, the best coaching I ever had was from a guy called Phil Sloker, who played for Somerset in um, the days when Viv Richards played. So he probably saw a few balls sail over the, the, the fence uh, being at the other end. But he came and played for our club around week, and I was a very orthodox, square, you know, tried to bat with perfect technique, and I was knocking around in third grade. And he watched me bat once and he said, open up your stance or fix you because you're coming around your pads all the time. And within six weeks, I was playing first grade cricket from that one change. It was just the, the beauty of his eye of being able to see what I needed to change to be a better player. And, and that's the key to good coaching. Whenever you're looking at the skill of a player, what can you help him to get that little bit better in the technique that he already has? And that's the great coaching. I want to have a talk just in terms of the skill bit a little bit. Um, Going back to our World Cup experience in Japan and the build-up to Japan and uh, like we're both bringing teams and training. You brought England to Treviso to, fortunately, we were already over there and went up up the mountains elsewhere. But trying to recreate, uh, and you saw Wales talking about putting, you know, water on the ball the whole time to recreate that humidity, etc. So, Putting skill under pressure, when when and how do you go about doing that? Is there, what, what are the weird or wacky things you've done in your time to put a skill under pressure? Not just the not, not just the the variation in numbers in front of people, but you know, small balls, greasy. You know, how, how have you gone about it? Yeah, again, I think the the main thing you're always looking at is is, is the player growing. As soon as the player is starting to do a skill really well and really consistently well. You've got to add some other factor to the training. So we've done things like all of that stuff with the ball, get the players to do spins before they catch the ball. Uh, we do a, a very simple one, which I learned from Wayne Bennett, uh, who was the England rugby league coach, just catching the ball literally six inches before the, the goalpost. So running at the goalpost, making sure they've got their hands up, getting the focus on their hands up and then having to do footwork. So, and then adding with that, having a hurdle before that. So anything that you can make it more variable and more stimulating for the player is, is worth trying. Nothing's wrong. 
nothing's right experiment yeah and, and that's uh, we we talked about the whole thing of the do kids watch enough rugby these days uh, and, and it's the same with do they just go out and make up games because the games they make up can actually help their skills just they don't need it you, you go along and you, you'll do a mini session and i know you do loads of them just in you know junior clubs and they wait for the coach to actually start a session or they wait for the coach to give them something as opposed to just making games up and that freedom actually is a really good thing to allow them to do as well. Yeah, it's been lost in society a bit, hasn't it? Because everything's now organised for the players. Um, you know, they if they go to a, a good school, every afternoon's organised for them. So there's very little opportunities for them to get out and just play. And it was interesting going to the Chelsea uh, Football Club and the I think uh, Neil Bath, the head of the academy there, They'd set up just a little play area for the players to just go out and make up their own games. And there's obviously some proof in the pudding there if you're a Chelsea fan to see all those young guys coming yeah. through and doing well in the Premier League. Um, and, and I think that's an important part. If you're coaching a club team, you know, don't be afraid for 15 minutes say to the boys, right, the game I want you to play has got to have two passes. You create your own game. And the players will take some time. They might fail to start off with, but in a couple of weeks they'll develop their own game and and it'll really help their their thinking about the game because they're told to do everything now. What we have to create players who think a lot more for themselves. I think I said that to you earlier when I went along to a session down in Reading uh, to a local club uh, near me and uh, the the I, I just said to the coach after around five ten minutes. I didn't know. I'd never read it before in my life. Just in front of the other, just keep quiet. Your your challenge now is to say nothing because he was giving and spoon feeding everything to the players rather than actually just leave them alone for once in a while. They're, they're, you actually might see a couple of them open their mouths. <laughs> um, and did he listen to you? Of course not. <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> so I started calling them Eddie. Then would listen. Huh? Uh, Big, big play. Again, because we talk rugby is rugby and it doesn't change. Uh, but really focus on this skill again. Big players, small players. Uh, well, it works both ways. How do you make, uh, and, and you see the, the size of players when they're younger and sometimes in clubs as well, when they're just bigger than everybody else, they don't focus on their skills. Uh, as much as you're trying to make the little fella more skillful, how do you how do you get that? How do you make those big players make make them focus on their skill more? What, what do you do with big players who have been the bully in the playground and suddenly my dad used to say to me, "God rest his soul," he'd say, "No matter who, no matter how big you think you are, you will always come up against someone bigger and stronger. So you have to learn your skills." Yeah, no, it sounds like a good coach at that. Um, it's it's a really important thing for, for coaches who are coaching the young players, those big players. You've got to give them big enough reason why to practice their skills. Um, because if they're you know they're generally at at the at the front of the team if they're a big player in the in the in the younger ages and they run through players, they don't tend to pass the ball so much. So create drills or create games where they get rewarded for passing. You know, so you've got to you've got to show them a reward for passing if if passing is a skill they need to develop. Yeah, and the other thing they always need to develop is their defensive skills, um, because big players again 
generally don't tend to do a lot of defensive work. So again, you've got to create games or drills that reward them for, for doing those things that they're not good at. And it's almost a contradiction to what we said before, which is a big part of coaching. Yeah. You know, so you're not actually coaching that big player to their strengths, but you're trying to develop an all-rounded game for that, so they will be successful further down the track. Yeah, there, would, there wouldn't be a role for a coach if there wasn't the ability to balance both, both, both sides of that, is there? Um, before, yeah. a couple of questions. Um, give me two examples here. An example of a great player who you've seen their skill sets become even better and an example of a the best example for you of a player who you've seen just grow in terms of their maybe they were quite structured and robotic at the start, but then they become an incredibly skillful player over the years. Have you have you, have you examples of that in your head? Current players apart. Uh, well, the fir- first player in terms of skill level was uh, Stevie Larkin. Um, who used to consistently turn the ball over when he was offloading to his left-hand side because uh, he'd drop his hand. And I remember just just showing him offloading off his right hand and offloading off his left hand and seeing the consequence of it. And immediately he worked it out by himself. And a lot of the times with the really good players, you just got to create that awareness of what they're doing rather than having to coach them. And within within a couple of games, he'd solved that problem. You know, of of the players now, really improved their skill. To me, the the standout's Johnny May. You know, the yeah. he was a standalone speedster when I first saw him, and now he's a player who can play off his wing. He's a great communicator in the backfield. His his high ball work is probably second to none in the world. You know, and that comes from a complete dedication to be the best. And you see Johnny, Johnny at the end of a session, he'll go around the field and, and practice his little grubber kick off his left foot by himself. Doesn't want to coach to help him. He just goes and does it. And that's the sort of player he's always wanting to grow. I think that's called rugby golf. I've seen loads of the people do that. <laughs> I don't think he plays with anyone, though. He'd be all right Give now me- social distancing. Give me uh, – yeah, well, my golf would be good social distancing. I'm never on the fairway. <laughs> What about a uh, well, Johnny? Give me an, an Australian player that you've worked with that uh, from the years ago. That because uh, I mean, uh, my growing up was I remember standing behind the posts in the '91 World Cup after after uh, I think it was Michael Lyon had scored that try to bail uh, Australia out. It was Australia New Zealand and probably one of the most famous tries in Australia New Zealand. The Tim Horan. Uh, over the back of his shoulder to 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 Campo or that that try that was scored uh, yeah, to yeah. that New Zealand Australia game. Um, give and Campisi was a player that you just looked at when you were younger and just thought the skills were at a different level of that era. Who who are the players that kind of that your your era as a player who stood out? Ah, uh, Campisi. He was a standout, mate. He used to come to training forty five minutes before everyone else. And practice his torpedo punt. Like no one had to tell him do he'd get a ball and he'd go down and he'd just practice. And he be yeah, he was a great attacking player, but he also had an unbelievable punt kick. And that just came. He didn't need a kicking coach, he just did it himself, worked it out himself. The other guy that comes to mind is Jay Roff, who was the complete opposite. Um, yeah, he'd come to training five minutes before it was about to start, 
uh, always tired. Um, and we had a problem at the Brumbies with goal kicking. We couldn't kick goal. Um, and he wasn't the most dedicated guy. So, and yeah, as you know, goal kicking is something you need a lot of dedication to do. So if he got 80% in the, in the season, we ended up winning the, the Super Rugby that year. He got a free holiday for, his, for him and his girlfriend at the end of the year to Fiji, I think it was. And he practised and he practised 80%, got 80%. And I don't think he ever, he ever goal kicked after that season, had his holiday in Fiji, but loved it. And again, you know, but again, from a coaching point of view, if you've got a player like that, find a way to get him get it dedicated. Yeah, well, maybe he didn't like his holiday to Fiji and that's why he didn't go <laughs> kick anymore. You're assuming he did. A uh, couple of questions from uh, from people who've just written in. Um, Jonathan, uh, and again, the questions that we've talked touched upon, but actually there are different vari- variations of the team. Do the players practice their own skills before or after training? Yeah, Jonathan, most of the guys practice it. After training, uh, before training is more of a physical prep because of the, the wear and tear of the game at the moment. They generally prepare themselves physically and then they do their skill work at the end. The, the guys who do more work are the kicking guys like George and Owen will be out with Johnny Wilkinson 45 minutes before training, practicing their kicking. Uh, they're extraordinarily dedicated. Um, it's always the kickers, isn't it? So you wish it was the throwers. Always the kickers. Yeah, always the kickers. See, the backs, much more dedicated than the forwards, I've always found. Nadine <laughs> asks, well, it's quite hard to demonstrate this one, but we'll, you, can, you can talk it through. What does a good catch and pass look like to you? Okay, so Nadine, close your eyes. So imagine the ball's coming to you, reach for the ball. So we talk about having early catch. Early catch allows you to catch, catch the ball and have time to either to run, pass or kick. So be square to the, the goalpost. So up and down the field, it's a north-south game. So you've got to be north-south and catch the ball early. Reach for the ball. I hope everyone closed their eyes there. Nice <laughs> visualisation. Um, last little question here, and then I just want to round up with with going back to the very start, just as a final bit of advice from you. But Stephen asks, what skills would you prioritise when coaching younger players? Catch, pass, support. Most difficult skills of the game. Always start with the most difficult skills because the other thing is you want them to enjoy the game and everyone wants to have the ball. And uh, the fact is that most forwards touch the ball for 2% of the game. Um, so when, you, when you, they do touch the ball, you want them to do it well. So really prioritise catch, pass, support. And don't forget the support. So every time you pass, you should be then moving into position to support the ball carrier. So get them to be one action after another. Prioritise that at the start of every session. Every session you do, do at the start should be about catch, pass, support. And then you can go into other areas of the game. And it's fun. Everyone wants to touch the ball, use different sorts of balls, tennis balls, Soccer balls, footballs, uh, rugby balls, doesn't matter what sort of ball, vary it up, have a bit of fun at the start, and then your session can be more serious after that. 
I hope I don't sound like a bad parent here, but I, in the evenings in lockdown, we go out, my, myself, my two daughters, we have a, a, I get a tennis racket and we, we don't come in until they've caught six in a row, but each one of them, it's, it's, it's alternate. So if one of them drops it, the other blames the other for not being allowed in. It's a terrible game, but it's good fun. <laughs> I, make sure, I make sure that I, we, we, get, we get in at the right time for, for dinner, but good. it's, it's, a, it's good. a nice game for catching. Um, just going back and just the last little thing, I just want you to probably re-emphasize with people who might be listening in as to the balance that you as a coach feel should be put on skills within sessions at various different levels. Uh, like just give me your that, that overall picture of the focus on skill as you come up through the ranks. Yeah, well, just, you know, just looking at the, the bigger picture, for England, we want to be the greatest team in the world. And to do that, we have to be absolutely brilliant at our basics. So you take that down to the community level of the game where, where kids are learning the game. What you want them to be is absolutely brilliant at basics. So the percentage of your session should always be about the basic skills. Now, you can you can make that into games where you're still reinforcing. So, for instance, you can play touch football with an early catch. If they don't catch the ball early, then it becomes a turnover and the other team get the ball. So you can be coaching core skills within within uh, fun movement-type games, but always start with some basic skills, finish with some basic skills, and then put them in games so that they have fun doing it and just keep mixing it up. And the only restriction you have is your, your creativity. It's like Brilliant. you with the tennis racket, mate. I mean, the girls love getting out there every night catching it. Mm, yeah, I, I think I think they'd prefer to the odd time to to not do it. But between that and the netball, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll bring a rugby ball into it soon. It'll be. I think the the big thing is just. I just want. It's like anything. What you said, catch it. You can catch if you've got the coordination. You can actually do anything in any sport. So yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's all it is is hand eye coordination. Yeah, the best of yeah. And um, when Eddie, you think about it, English rugby, you know, one of the key values is enjoyment. And to enjoy the game, you you want to be good at, at catching and passing the ball. So it's a massively important part of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's the basics that you say. As ever, Eddie, uh, brilliant. Love, love chatting. And we shall uh, chat to you next time. Okay, thanks very much. All right, good on you, Connor. Thanks, guys. And that's it for episode five of the Eddie Jones Coaching Podcast. Thanks for all of your views and ratings so far. Keep them coming. As Bandido1965 did when he said, I'm a football coach, but this is so transferable. Always great listening to Eddie. And Skibum63 who wrote, loving this new podcast. It's a real privilege listening to two, oh, two such knowledgeable people and coaches. Thanks. Thanks for that. Well, thanks for including me in those two. We'll be with you next week for the final episode of the series talking about a coach's journey. We'll see you then. Thank you.